Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. And there's kind of like a cadence and an ebb and flow. And then all of a sudden in verse 9, we read this. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And so God granted him what he requested. Just two verses. There's no other mentions of Jabez in the Bible directly, perhaps implied in the previous chapter. We'll get to that in just a second. But this little power pocket of scriptures that we know about 10, 15 years ago is a big thing in the church. You know, different things come and go in the church at different generations. And the prayer of Jabez was a big deal for a lot of people. A lot of books came out, kids' books and stuff like that. But just in its own merit, it's two verses that have a lot of interesting background to them. So first of all, He's in the line of Judah. So we know he's from the tribe of Judah. Back in chapter 2 and verse 55, it mentions the families of the scribes who dwelt at Jabez. So it's possible, if not probable, the village of Jabez was named after this Jabez. Now, we don't know that for sure, but it seems possible because in the context of Scripture, it came up, there's a village, and then his name pops up. And by the way, we've already seen this, where people's names are mentioned, and then a village was named after them. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Like, when you go to the Seekerstrom Center, that's the famous Seekerstrom family. When you're in Huntington Beach, Huntington was a business investor who was going to build casinos like Atlantic City back about 1910, and instead, he discovered oil, Right? And the rest is history. Stanton was his partner, and so we're in the city of Stanton. That's a town named after someone as well, right? That's, that's how that works. So anyways, we can relate to that in our own world, that that's possible for Jabez. Whether it's named after him or not, what we do know is he had, his mom gave him a name. Not particularly a flattering one either, and we'll get to that. He requested five things of the Lord, and God answered his request for those five things that he asked for. This is the context of Jabez. So first of all, we read that he was uh, more honorable than his brothers. This word implies, this is interesting because I looked at this scripture through quite a, quite a few different translations and, you know, strong concordance. I just want to just get these words because these words are important and different translations have different use of words for our English language. And as you know, sometimes words get lost in the language. For example, like, you know, the, the word gnarly, that surfers use, you can't translate into Spanish. You know, when I coach a Chilean team, I try to say, dude, it's gnarly. They're like, just did not get it. And the same way, like how Chileans would use dale, dale, like it, it means so many different things that I just couldn't understand, like you're using that word again, but it's totally different than last time. And we understand that with languages. So that's why with the prayer of Jabez, I want to take a deeper look. And so in the original Hebrew word for noble here, it has this idea of weight. So it's like, wait, what's that all about? Well, to have weight either negative or positive. In other words, weight like a burden or weight as a positive, like lots of wealth 
or even like almost like how we say you tilt the room, like someone tilts the room. So his presence had a weight to it. Now we know from what's described of him, it wouldn't have been a negative weight. It would have been a positive one. He did prosper. He asked to prosper and God did prosper him. So he's like, I tilted the room. And we're told he was more noble than his brothers. So he's not the only one of the family. He's just the one that mom called him sorrow. That's the name she gave her son. Jennifer and I had interesting conversation the night talking about this, how all four of our children, we gave them a name with intention. Hannah, we named after Hannah in the Bible, after we lost our first son. And then, you know, Hannah cried out in the Bible for her child and God gave her a son. There's more to it than that. Her middle name is Joy because we knew that she would turn our sorrow into joy. So Hannah Joy Baran. And that's what Hannah's done for 32 years plus. She's brought us joy. So uh, Leah we named because I felt like Leah was always going to be in Hannah's shadow. See, there's the human failure of parents. So we called her Leah, which actually means mad cow in Hebrew, like crazy cow. We've had fun with that for 30 years because if there ever was a crazy cow, it is Leah. Vaca uh, loca, right? Okay. And uh, But she's her own person, has definitely never been in Hannah's shadow. But we called her Leah because Leah, of course, looked for fulfillment in a man, and then she found fulfillment in the Lord, if you recall the story of Leah in the book of Genesis. And we wanted to make sure that Leah found her fulfillment not being in anyone's shadow, her sister's shadow, or another woman's shadow, but in the Lord. Timothy, we named Timothy because there in Virginia Beach, when I was pastoring the church, I was going through 1 Timothy when he was born, and it's such a beautiful book, and Timothy was a was called by the Lord, but had to be exhorted at times. And so we called our son. We were going to call him Josiah, actually, because we just taught on Josiah. I don't need to give you a reason why you'd call a boy Josiah. But we were going to call him Josiah till the day he was born. And when he was born, Jennifer said, his name's Timothy. I'm like, it is. But his middle name is still Josiah. Luke, for various reasons, was called Luke. But when we were in Vermont, I taught the Gospel of Luke, the one book I taught there in the hotel. We came back to California. She got pregnant with Luke, and then he was born, and we called him Luke. So we have two Old Testament names, Hannah and Leah, and two New Testament names, Timmy and Luke. And there was a reason and intention with each of their names. I bring that up because Jabez's mom had other children, but she chose to call, call him Pain. Now, there are a few translations that translate this sorrow. And if you look up the word, it, it, it's, it's actually only used twice in the Bible. It's used in Isaiah chapter 14 once. And it does have the idea that it could be sorrowful or pain. So it's a tricky word. And then when you look at different translations, which I did, it's almost up to the translators to decide on this, arc, this ancient Hebrew word. Did she call her son like, I had sorrow, and so I'm calling him sorrow, or I had pain, like pain and labor, and I'm calling him pain. And based upon the interpretation and the translation of the word, it would seem she had a lot of pain in delivery and named him pain from her delivery. Which, you know, I have a lot of opinions on that. If you recall, when Rachel was giving childbirth to her son before she died in labor, she called him son of my sorrow, but Jacob refused to let his son have that name and change his name to uh, son of my right hand, Benjamin. So the last thing she did before she stepped into eternity was put a name on her son, my sorrow. And ben- Jacob's like, I'm heartbroken because the woman I love just died, but we're not going to call Benjamin Ben-Ami, son of sorrow. He's going to be the son of my right hand. And so we, we understand this, especially in Bible culture, names are very important. So from the time he went to, you know, 
pre-K class and kindergarten and school or whatever in the village, he's identified, his name is an identity, sorrow, pain. Now, that's a tough one to put on a kid. And I've been saying for years, we have to watch our words and we have to watch our attitudes and we have to watch our comments and what we say. Even today, Timothy came by, our son, and I apologize for something I said the other day off cuff um, on just when I was at his new house. And I said something and later, I was like, why did I say that? That sounded kind of like, like a dad thing, you know, like, all well, son, if you, you know, get your act. It just, it didn't need to be said. Like, I just said something that was like, it wasn't meant to be negative or cutting. It just, it just, I didn't need to say it. And I thought he could have taken that the wrong way, you know. It had to do with managing your money. And um, it, it wasn't a big, profound, deep thing, but it just wasn't, I didn't need to say it. So I told him this morning, hey, Tim, I'm sorry. Before I said, oh, it's okay, Dad, no big deal. I get it too, you know. But still, we have to, we have to think about what we say and what we put on people, especially young people and kids, right? Like we do. This kid's name was Pain. And we can only know in any culture, that's just, people would have fun with that at kindergarten. Yeah, your mom named you Pain. And I just think it's kind of unfair that her, her, she put what she experienced in life and put it on him and made him experience it his whole life in his name. And so we'll get past that tonight and see how, even in his faith with the Lord, how he rose above the name that his mom gave him. And it's ironic, because I don't know what she named her other kids, but the one she named Pain was a blessing to the Lord and to everyone around him. That much we know for sure. So as we look at this text, in it, beyond this context I just gave, he asked for five things. He asked that he would be blessed, that his territory would be enlarged, that the hand of the Lord would be with him, that God would keep him from evil, and he would not cause pain. Five things. And we're told by the Holy Spirit that the Lord answered his prayer. So he asked for five things, and they're pretty broad. It's basically saying, bless me, Lord, but the Lord heard his prayer and answered those five things. And as I looked at these five topics tonight, I thought, like, you know, we've covered some of these things, and I don't really want to do a five-point message, but really how my mind's been thinking lately, and when I was looking at the text, what really, the Lord's been teaching me a lot about increase and multiplication and compound increase and exponential increase with the kingdom of God and these things. And so when I looked at this text, what really got my attention in the year of 2023 is where after he says that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory. And this is the part of the prayer that's very famous to most people. Because I think it's safe to say we want to enlarge our territory. However you'd interpret that. I want to enlarge my thinking capacities that I can have a clearer mind and not have a fuzzy mind the older I get. Like I want to be able to think sharp. I want to increase my knowledge that's biblical and beneficial for the rest of my life and the human experience. I want to increase my boundaries for good health. I had a little flare-up today. Uh, for a health issue that I haven't had since back in August. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I've just been thanking the Lord for good health. And then today he gave me a, just a little thing that's reminding me like a little bit of pain will get my attention. And wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? A little bit of physical pain, that changes your world right away. You can pray for all these things you want to pray for, but the moment you are in physical pain, in my case, diverticulitis, the moment you are in physical pain, hey, all you know and care about at that moment is your pain. So we say enlarge our territories. In some people's case, that would be to be healed from physical infirmity or pain. Enlarge our territories would be resolve certain financial issues. Enlarge our territories, a clarity of vision and ministry. It could mean any number of things. But the idea of enlarging your territory is certainly is one of personal increase. 
And when the Lord gives us increase, personally, it's going to have temporal increase and eternal increase. And whatever temporal increase we get, we want to make sure it's moving toward eternal increase. Or as Jesus said to the woman at the well, drink from this water, you'll thirst again. Temporal increase, water, that driving force. But the water I give will spring up to everlasting life eternal increase. And so even with humanitarian aid, you can, dig well, you can dig wells of water around the world for people with bad water and give them physical, temporal water. But if you do it in Jesus' name, you give them the temporal water and the eternal water. Yes and amen. So when we think about increase, whether it's good health, sharper thinking, a better job, better finances, you know, a clearer vision of the kingdom of God and how to be used the Lord, Whatever happens in the temporal, we want to be working toward the eternal. Because otherwise, we just leave it behind, right? They asked of Rockefeller how much he left behind, and someone said, all of it. Right? Like, we, we, whatever we're doing in the temporal, we want moving toward the eternal. Ultimately, that's what we want. And we're going to contrast those things later tonight. So with this in mind, I just want to focus on this topic that he said that you would enlarge my borders. And so tonight, the name of our message, the main topic is the God of increase. And I want to talk about God increasing his work in our lives through time and eternity. First of all, the first thing that God says to humanity in the Bible is he said, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. Genesis 1.28. Before sin, when God made man and then made Eve from man, when he spoke to his created being, who he made in his image, God said, let us make man in our image, and woman is the same. The very first thing in revealing himself, the creator to the created, says, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. And that should get our attention. The first sentence of intellect and understanding from God of the universe to the crown jewel of the universe, humanity, is he says, before sin, be fruitful and multiply. Now, you might say, okay, Joey, yeah, like more human beings. Correct. But also in Genesis 2, he was given, they were given a task in the garden of the things that God had for them. There was a labor designed by God for Adam and Eve before sin. So as we talked last week about Abram and Abraham, in Adam all sin and die, but in the second Adam, Christ all are made alive. And we're not just saved from sin and death, but we're saved to fruit and glory. And when Christ works in our life and we become a new creation, we've not just passed from death, but we've gone on to life. And we're not just to be saved with a life insurance policy for the day of the Lord, but we're restored. God is restoring what's lost and he's transforming what's lost to get us on track to be his workmanship. So again, we're not saved by works of the flesh and self-righteousness, but we're saved in that righteousness of Christ, like Abraham believed God was kind of for righteousness. And then we're called to a work. We're called to a life of faith. This was our topic last week. People that just think getting saved is going forward at a crusade or something and just going home and not being different completely miss it. We're not just saved from death, we're saved to life. And the whole purpose of Christ's coming is to restore that which is lost and lead us in abundant life, in eternal life, in this life, and moving toward the eternal life. And so when we think about Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, it's more than just the temporal. It's their whole existence and their purpose. The perfect man and the perfect woman. And even after the fall, there's always been a, a work that God would do in the lives of people of faith. So whether, you know, you go to Hebrews 11, and we see how Abel, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch walked with God and was not, and then Noah, by faith, was moved with godly fear and prepared for the saving of his household with the building of the ark, and so on and so forth. 
So the very first thing God ever said, don't miss this, WG, the very first thing God said to his created being, because he's the potter and we're the clay. I have blessed you, be fruitful and multiply. The first two things in Jabez's prayer is that you'd bless me and I would, you'd increase my territory. Now, let's talk about the increase. So if we say, God, increase me, increase my influence, increase my health, increase my wealth, increase my, my kingdom, the, the vision, the calling, the gifts and the calling of God, the, the, the legacy of my life for all eternity, increase that. Well, we know there's certain things that God will bless and increase, and there's certain things God won't bless and increase. Like it says in James, you ask and have not because you ask amiss. And God always looks at the heart. So we want to make sure that our asking and our seeking to increase, that we set ourselves up to increase. Like if you're just living in sin and say, Lord, bless me and, you know, increase me, well, why would he do that? He wouldn't do that. You might increase yourself, but that's not consistent with his will. So let's talk about this tonight. And again, I'm, I'm going to pull my points topically like I did last week, which is kind of unusual for me. But I think in Chronicles, it's a good fit for where we're at in the text right now, especially coming after Kings. So the number one thing we're going to look at, first of all, is the increase in the word of God. So if we increase in the word of God, we're going to increase. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 13. I did this last week where I had some passages I shared with you. But in Matthew chapter 13, we're talking about God of the increase. And if we want God to increase us in just the, the kingdom here and now for all eternity, we need to understand that he is the God of increase. He's actually the God of multiplication. Even when he subtracts, he's moving toward increase. For example, I am the vine, you're the branches, and I've pruned you that you might bear what? More fruit. When Job lost everything, what do we read? God gave him more than he had at the beginning. So even in God's kingdom, it's addition, subtraction, and always moving toward multiplication. And in Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower, however, sower, however you look at it. But I want to read this to you because this deals with the word of God, and it deals with receiving the word of God, believing the word of God, obeying the word of God, and being the word of God. So in Matthew 13, Jesus said this. He spoke this parable. He said to them many things in parables, saying, verse 3, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them, and some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a, a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he interprets this parable for him, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 13. So he explains it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his or her heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside, but he received the seed on stony place. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But... 
he or she, that person who received the seed on the good ground, is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. That's a hundredfold return, worship generation, and this is Jesus' teaching. This is Jesus' teaching on how the word of God works in the heart of people who believe it, receive it, obey it, and go forward in it. It goes 30, 60, 100-fold. Our God is the God of the expanding territory. Our God is the God of increase and the God who multiplies. And this parable of the sower, he speaks of multiplication. Now, this is interesting. You financial people, stay with this one. The seed went in four hearts. You might say that's four stocks that the Holy Spirit invested in. Four adventure, venture capital enterprises. One, two, three, and four. Four it went. You invested in this stock. You invested in that one. You invested this one and that one. The word of God went into four. 75% of them failed. Three of the four failed with no return on investment. Nothing. That works when you invest in stocks. That happens, right? It's kind of a guessing game sometimes. You do your educated guess and then, you know, things can just happen, right? 75% was a failed investment. Four in the context would be four people. Four people heard the word of God. One, the devil ripped it out. One, the person's like, yay, praise the Lord. And then they had a bad day. Forget the Lord. The other one's like, oh, I'm going to serve the Lord. And they're like, but I'm going to serve uh, mammon first. And they choked it out. The fourth one's like, I believe it. I receive it. I'm living it. I'm reading it. I'm taking it. I'm, I'm forward. That, that investment, listen, this is how exponential works and compound and cumulative works. 25% that received it multiplies 100%. So what that shows us, if your heart's right and my heart's right with the Lord and we hear the word, receive the word and apply the word and believe the word, we're given 100% return from the 20% that came back positive for the investor, God of the universe in this parable. I want to be the good stock. You know, the way certain stocks work is you buy the cluster, right? Like the mutual fund or whatever, and and they kind of go together, and some you can kind of update all the time. But let's just say you have 20 stocks in a fund, and you're looking at them, and this this one's a dog. And sooner they're like, I've lost with this stock long enough. And you tell your broker, get rid of that one and replace it with a new one. Like, that happens, right? That's how it works for you people that have stocks and invest like that. You and I want to be the woman and the man that of four soils that were for sure the one that returns 30, 60, fold by believing the word, applying the word, and living the word. We want to be a good return investment for King Jesus and the living word. Now, Jennifer, my wife, and you ladies from the women's ministry, you know this, you've been memorizing scriptures, right? I think there's like a hundred of them. I'm like, wow. I mean, all men should pastor a church where a number of women are memorizing 100 scriptures, by the way. Like, if that's, if that's a part of the ministry that you pastor, good for you, so good for me. Thank you, ladies, for memorizing 100 scriptures. But anyways, Jennifer didn't tell me this, and so randomly I said, hey, can, can you, like, you know, when the kids come to Anthony and say they want, to mem- they want to tell you the scripture so they get the little gift from the goodie bag? And I was like, so Jennifer and I are there, and I go, hey, hey, can you, can you, can you give me some of the scriptures? She's like, and here we go. And it's like, it's like she was wrapping the cadence. She's like, you know, John 3, John 1, all this stuff, Romans 5. And I was like, oh, yeah. And it was like, I was like, my wife's so hot. She's just like, all these scriptures. 
Then she got to Joshua uh, 1.8. Now listen, I can't even paraphrase Joshua 1.8. That's why I have a note for it tonight. But she goes, oh, let me do Joshua 1.8. And then she kind of had a couple of words. like, look, she gives me the card. And she's like, okay, let me read you. Okay, let's do this. And I'm like, we're kind of like doing trades. I'm like, sounds like, you know, that kind of a thing. But I want to put Joshua 1.8 with that text we just read in Matthew. Because I, I want you to connect this. So Joshua 1.8 says this. And this is when Joshua is going to go into the land and lead the people. The, this book of the law, God's word, book of the law at that time, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. See, there's nothing new under the sun. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.